Welcome back. This is part two of my conversation with Elka Krajewska. If you haven't listened to part one, go back. I'm assuming, and this is a big assumption, um, if we don't make this assumption, we will run grossly over time. But correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that the people that value art, maybe like some employment, some employees of a big insurance company, maybe they don't have Mm -hmm. this personal relationship. It's like a thing, right? It's a thing. It's a glossy thing uh, that needs to be Mm -hmm. dusted every morning. But the experiences that you're talking about in life are very personal. They're personal to people. They're personal to life. They're personal to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, our mortality and fragility. And so it seems to me that uh, New York must be very, very good at uh, an airless, impersonal view of stuff. And what you're describing is very personal. Yeah. I mean, the lady on the plane, you must have seen people interact with art in all kinds of very personal ways from children. I mean, I've seen the photos that all kinds of people, you know, came to SAI and still do, um, Mm -hmm. just not under your your tutelage. But um, I think the experience that it's just two different experiences of an object or or things, isn't it? Sure, sure, sure. But the thing is, you know, it's in a way, even those insurance company workers, even the people in immigration, you know, it's all about personal. Like it's about, are you going to fill, you know, because at the end, somebody has to fill that form. Somebody, unless AI is gonna be just doing everything for us, which might happen, who knows? Um, it's part of it is probably being done. At the end, that claim has to be signed by someone. That question has to be answered by someone, the way it's phrased. Um, you know, I did, you know, part of the whole uh, SAI inventory is this set of objects, but the other part is set of documentation. I always kept documentation because I was interested in all these little scribbles on the forms of how people would insist on getting their money or the, you know, and each case is completely individual. Each case is different. There is no blanket, whatever. There isn't. Even the way that, I mean, I have a story and I'm not going to go into it because we'll go till the evening, but we have a piece in our inventory listed that was going to be given to us but then the insurance worker one of them who was a fine art specialist of the company said you know elka we're going to give it to you but can i i really have this idea i want to do something with it first and i'm like uh do you want to come to my class and tell my students about it at the time i was doing a a two summer uh, studio uh, kind of focus uh, class at the architecture department at columbia and with the students, we we're kind of conceiving the SAI experience architecturally. How would it look in the space? Where would it be? Blah, blah, blah. So I invited this guy from insurance to our class to tell us what he wants to do. And because for me, when he started to say, I was like, uh, stop. I want my students to hear that. And he comes to our class. I have this recording, which is like gold for me. And he shows us what he does with this piece of art uh, in our group, it's called, the number is, I'll give you the number. It's number nine. Mm. And number nine is, it's funny because right now I'm tra- translating, we're working also on, uh, on a book. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the pieces in the book is a 
poem that I commissioned from Eileen Miles, who is my hero, about this particular piece. It's SAI 9, and it's a uh, damaged photograph that I noticed at the office of the insurance company that was looking at me across the room. That picture looks at me, and I was thinking, what the hell is wrong with it? Like, why is it so powerful? And then I realized it was so powerful because it was hanging there without glass with just shards of glass still kind of present there. And it was very strange how it was kind of naked, but powerful. And so he took this piece, which is an artwork uh, of um, uh, damaged by glass pieces, shattering and, you know, kind of gauging, gouging the, the surface of the, the photograph. And it's a photograph, uh, a self-portrait from 1980s of, done by Cindy Sherman. And it's, uh, it's a very moving and beautiful piece. Her sitting at the window kind of with a cigarette. It's, it's extremely both erotic and beautiful and just super, super strong. And what he did with it, he took it and he recreated the damage. He covered it with glass. He smashed new glass on top of it to kind of dramatize it and then enshrined it in a wooden box on feet and made it into a kind of a shrine. It was, it was colossal. They, then they moved it to the back room of the company and I took a photo of it. And I was like, wow, that's a huge transformation. So he comes with this piece to my class and it, hear what he says. He says, this is probably the first time in the history that an art insurance made art. When he said that, I was like, holy shit. He really got so involved in it and so owned it and so felt responsible to do something creative with it that he actually thought about himself making art with this piece. So, you know, it's like that. It's like each case it just takes you in a completely different story, something that you would never expect, but it happens with all pieces from our inventory and it doesn't happen at like at the beginning sometimes the piece needs to wait you know sometimes it's just something happens in the world and it suddenly becomes visible and it's like oh my god you know the lecture that you uh, watched I'm using one of the our pieces from the 89 which is the no, SAI 44 and uh, uh, replacing one of the panel with the Ukrainian, you know, Hotel Ukraina. Yeah, and, can you tell us about was, your work you in know, Ukraine, then, please? Yeah, I'm, I'm super interested, speaking of So I, I'm never, actually, the, the thing is, yeah. it's like, the, the, the reason is I've, I haven't actually been to Ukraine, you know, I've, it's uh, this whole idea of focusing the seminar. I was still in America. This was during Corona, I think 2021. Yeah. It's a, it's a symposium about debris that was uh, organized. There are four people in the symposium. It's a wonderful group of people. And I'm there and I realize we're, it's an academic atmosphere and we're all focused on all these things and nobody's talking about the war. And I was just blown away when I saw that and I realized when you're in America, the war seems so fucking far away. And it's just, and for me, it felt so like, you know, I was looking at my friends, I was looking at a Ukrainian artist that were doing, you know, going into the basements and making work and protecting work. And I was like, I completely scrapped what I was going to present. And I focused the presentation on Ukraine and Ukrainian artists. And I used the piece that was done 
during the kind of uh, in the 80s when one of the American artists, Robert Rauschenberg, traveled to Russia to kind of develop a relationship between artists in America and artists in Russia during the Cold War and kind of to show that there is the people are, you know, uniting, although the governments are at odds. And I thought, you know, right now we can't even do that. I thought we cannot deal with, you know, the, it, this, what's happening in, uh, in Ukraine now and after the invasion and, you know, invasion that lasted more than what's happening now since 2014. The, you know, this is like a conflict that is put a lot of people, you know, killed a lot of people, damaged people's lives and it continues to bleed. And I, I had to do it. I just felt responsible. And also because when I looked at, and also another argument was that I cannot work with SAI the way I worked before, because there has been such a change in the industry of insurance. AXA Art does not exist anymore as an individual company. It's been merged into this kind of global LX, whatever it's called. It's now lifestyle and, and and art or something like that it's 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 more about wealth yeah. and when i saw that when the on that company on their website when they show the global business they're dealing with they still have a map and they're doing business with russia and you feel like holy shit and they're what about all these you know all these oligarchs and all these works of art you know, Kunz included and all these big names included in Russia, in Ukraine, all these things being moved into yachts, being moved into storage. Who is insuring them? You know, who is insuring that wealth? Obviously, I'm, nobody's going to answer that question. And I tried to, I, you know, I write to these people. I write to the presidents of insurance companies. No response. Nobody's even picking up because the culture of these cor corporate companies have changed so much that there's no person as an individual responsible it's all distributed and it's all hidden when i started sai you would go to the insurance company's website and you'll have names you would have this is the fine art specialist this is the person that deals with claims this is the director of claims this is the pr person now if you go to a website you just have a form that you have to fill in that maybe somebody on the other hand is gonna get back to you you don't know who you're talking with nobody it's just it's like that so for them, engaging in what SAI was is impossible right now. It's impossible. Do you find yourself, as someone who grew up in Poland, um, mm. you know, who can remember the 80s, I guess, who can remember the Cold War, um, mm. do you find yourself culturally attuned to Ukrainians? I think about Poles as just culturally. I don't mean, you know, I don't, we don't know each other. I don't mean you personally, although also... You know, I, I feel attuned to anybody who has to flee their home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have this... We're talking about Eurovision, and we're going to talk about Yamala in 1944, no? Yes. And we were talking about the peace. And she's, you know, she is describing 1944. You know, she's describing the time when the Turks... Uh, Tatars, you know, the Tatars were taken from their homes and basically thrown out or killed. So the and she starts the song with, you know, they come to your home and they take the story continues. If the story continues of the base, you know, if the women and children are the ones that will flee. When you see all these uh, peace talks, it's all these guys with with in suits that are talking about our future. 
it's a world that I'm, you know, right now it's Ukraine, but it's also Palestinians. And it's also, you know, a lot of people that are fleeing Africa, Sudan. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm with people that suddenly, because somebody wants to protect their wealth and well, lifestyle and way of being, they're gonna make sure that you're gonna be on the bottom of your their list. And I'm always with the underdog. That's probably in my blood because my father was born in Warsaw. Yeah. In 1922, he was 17 when the war broke out. Warsaw was completely leveled during the Warsaw Uprising. Everything was gone from everybody's life. Polish ghetto, Warsaw ghetto was, you know, it's thousands, millions of people dead who had their culture, who had the need for education, and they were completely eradicated. So I'm for that, you know, I, I, I but it's about, I'm for, not, I don't want to be like, oh, you know, I'm protecting this no, or this no, nation. No, 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 yeah. It's all about like, who is knocking at your door and why? You know, it's like I had to, when I was in New York, I had to deal with cops, you know, I had to deal with families that I was, was working with in Brooklyn, who basically were in the, in the Bronx, that are living in the projects, in the conditions that are unfucking livable. These kids who are, had to be medicated because there's so much violence around them, that I, as a friend, have to give a six-year-old child some sort of a drug for them, you know, because they can't rest. You know, the damage is everywhere because the poverty is just, unfortunately, like, everywhere, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, human misery. For so sure. it's like, so it's not for, yes, right now I'm for Ukrainians. And if, if you know, but I do have Russian friends that have escaped that are in Warsaw. And we, I'm not going to talk about them because I don't want to take airtime and give, you know, that space. But it's about, it's about individual lives of people wanting to survive, to live in dignity, to have basics. I'm happy to be in Warsaw, you know why? Because for kind of, a, you know, a little bit of money, I can have a modest, decent life and focus on what the things that I want to focus in. In New York, I wouldn't be able to have a modest, decent life because I wouldn't be able to go to the doctor. I watched my friend die for four months in a poor house up in Harlem. And I would never wish this to anyone. You know, the kind of death when you don't have money. So I just, as much as I know New York and, and as much as I love it, I love New York. I love that city because as you said, on one hand it's corp, you know, it's all this wealth, but on the other hand, it's individual stories. It's all these people that yeah. have made the choice to be there. Most of the New Yorkers, are there because they've made a choice to be there. It's some sort of, you know, if somebody doesn't like that city, they just leave because it's unlivable on so many levels. So the, the richness of culture, no? It's like the richness of New York, it's the richness of culture. It's, a, it's access that what we have to things. But, you know, the prices of, of museums have gone up so, I mean, not for New Yorkers, but because we have a card, right? So as a, as a New Yorker, you can go to a museum for barely nothing or for free. But um, even the museums are becoming corporations. Even the experience, if you go to the Guggenheim Museum Cafe, which if you, next time you go, it's like you're in an airport. Paper cup, kind of uncomfortable seat somewhere. It's, there's no charm anymore. Like it used to be like nice seats. You have a little, you know, you know, you had things in glass, you had things that, now it's all disposable. As, you know, this is how we're caring for environment. Everything is disposable. 
There's a lot of trash everywhere. You have to buy expensive water. I mean, it's a joke. Parentheses, because we're about to talk about Ukraine. Yes. We're about to talk to you about Eurovision. <laughs> uh, okay. But just before, <laughs> because you mentioned Jamala, so it seems like it seems like definitely yes. a way in. There will be a ton of links in the show notes, just a ton. I, I hope that you share your poetry with us. I hope we've just got a million and one links in the show notes. Please look in the show notes. However, if you don't, um, I've just got this quote from the Smithsonian that says, using a database of more than 28,000 cultural sites in Ukraine, the Smithsonian team was able to spot an attack on the, on a museum from a combination of thermal imaging and NASA commercial satellite photos, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the World Bank recently estimated that the cost of damage so far to Ukraine's cultural buildings and art collections from the invasion amounts to nearly $2 billion. Uh, so you've got some bits that I've that I've seen about uh, insurance and Russian oligarchy, and it's all super fascinating. Um, this, of course, in addition to just tragic loss of life and dignity and all kinds of other stuff. The, you know, the stuff mm -hmm. is kind of the cherry on the cake. But I, I can also imagine for Ukrainians, a lot of this is like also churches. This is also sacred space. I imagine a lot of the stuff that's disappearing, yeah. sacred, yeah. sacred. Yeah. You know cultural history. I mean, you're like, you know, erasing a people. Um, Schools. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Schools, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, sense, and also the sense of peaceful being able to make art, right? Artists. You know, perhaps there is a... I'm not worried so much about artifacts that are gone because I know that there'll be always artists and making things that are relevant. And even from the rubble, they're going to make things that are relevant. That's just what artists do. I mean, there are plenty of names I can give you that are doing it right now, no? But it's like Nikita Kadan or Katerina Lisovenko, there are two. Katerina is a painter who's just, when she left, she had to leave all of her materials. And uh, she came to, I met her in Austria, and we uh, spoke about, she actually, I got her involved in a program with SAI, and we spoke about why the Guernica never worked, you know, Picasso's yeah, anti-war piece. Anti-war piece, like, yeah. It was done, it didn't work, it didn't work. The wars didn't stop. So we had, you know, with what we did with Katerina, we actually made an action and banners and we went into the streets and we stood in the, you know, and we talked about, uh, so, uh, and Nikita Kadan is working with all this stuff that is damaged or somehow impacted and history and monuments and, you know, so there is always plenty of creativity. Sometimes when I think about America, it's almost too much. Like there's too many artists, there are too many art schools, there's too, just too much artifacts that's then being stored. All this invention of new materials, nah, nah. It's like at some point it becomes really boring because it's, it's really, it takes you away. I mean, we're learning so much, but it's just like, okay, he's done this and he combined this with this and this has never been done and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, borrowing all these things from NASA and from all the new technology that usually comes from the military. And, uh, but um, I understand that. Do you think about yourself as subversive, Elka? Nah, I think I just, I want to live. Now I <laughs> to live is subversion. <laughs> Then maybe yes. I just want to be alive. I want to have time. I want to have time to honor things that I want to honor. I have, want to have time to be with my friends. I want to have time, which I took time and I lost my job and everything, to take care of my dying mother. And I did it. And I took off and I was by her side for months until 
I held her and she died. And these were my choices that put me in a lot of financial struggle and in a lot of debt. But that's the kind of choices I make because I want to be able to prioritize things that are important for you not to be luxury. I don't want it to be subversive. I want it to be normal, that we go and have normal water. I don't have to buy a fucking liter, like, you know, water. I don't want to buy water. This is nothing subversive. I don't want to buy water. What's beautiful, I just got myself a nice five liter jug and I have an artesian well five minutes away from my apartment and I like going and getting nice water because the tap water in Warsaw is okay, but it's so-so. I like making an effort to going and getting myself five liters every few days and just having good water to drink because it's a worthwhile effort. And um, so this is not subversive. This is like things that, you know, our grand, 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 grand mothers and fathers that, you know, yeah. yes. So I basic human rights to dignity and well-being and, you know, what's in the American constitution in a way, you can pursue your... Yeah, um, yeah, you don't have to reach happiness, you just have to pursue it. You don't have to be subversive, yeah, you don't have to be subversive to really kind of live an American dream, no? I think you might. Oh, I guess. I think you might. I think that, I think standards (laughs) have slipped. That's what I think. Um, All right. First, first, uh, (laughs) first um, Eurovision entry. Uh, Solove, Solove, Ukraine, Solove, 2020. Ukraine, twenty twenty. Yeah. The, the Eurovision that wasn't. So this, the this Eurovision is Eurovision that didn't happen. Yeah. Yes, I saw this piece, and it's just. I mean, this band is just sexy. Yeah. First of all, yeah. <laughs> they're just amazing. Go on, hardcore, hardcore, sexy. Yeah. Just so hardcore. But for me, that song, I mean, the way in the official, I guess, video, she's wearing this amazing red, black, all that stuff. It just visually, it's so stunning. So when I saw them with all this jewelry and this kind of ancient wisdom, you know, this kind of sense of she's coming from another planet and she's singing and she's mixing into this kind of contemporary beat an old kind of an old folk song material. It's a song, version of a song that in Poland, these kind of songs are usually about rape. They're about, you know, this kind of little thing that happens in the woods you cannot talk to about with your mother, but the love that is kind of wanting, it's seductive and it's not wanted, but it's wanted and it should end and it shouldn't end. It actually had to usually in those kinds of songs, these were women in the South, some of them Ukrainian, some of them Belarus, some of them Poland, writing down those lyrics to document rape histories in the culture. So I know that it's not spelled out in the song, but for me that really connects to the war and the disaster and the kind of, you know, the coitus in the woods, you know, she's collecting these rose berries, you know, these are kalina, which is like a symbolic fruit. You know, it's both, it's red, it's blood and it's desire, but it's all mixed in. And then this one time affair in the woods, you know, this kind of this guy that comes from nowhere and it's kind of this supposedly is going to save your life bullshit, (laughs) you know, this kind of, (laughs) And this attachment to the mother, you know, this sort of, I cannot tell my mom about this because I know there is something wrong with it. So the story is so deep, but it's so contemporary the way she presents it because it has so, so full of like power and just her beauty and the song and the music and the kind of, you know, the, what's, what's been done through all these Ukrainian and kind of Eastern entries is the 
contemporizing the folk, no? The kind yes. of mixing in yes. the old songs that come from deep, deep cultures into this new thing to basically carry on the message. It's to carry on the storytelling. It's to carry on the things that women weave into carpets. And it's the same thing that's in visual arts, and it's in the song, it's in the Roma culture, it's in the Tatars. It's all the prosecuted tribes that are trying to write their history. And this is the way for her to take the story into the audience of pop culture that is going to somehow stay in the young mind. You know, the, some of the young people that listen to it don't even know what it means, but the song gets in and the beat gets in and the story gets passed. And I think that's... That's the magic of generations, no? And DNA, we gotta pass the story. We gotta keep it moving. Yeah. And you, it takes on, t- t- takes on different shapes. It's like a snake. It's like this, you know, it sheds the old skin and it has to be popular and uh, digestible and attractive to young people and to new cultures. So that's why I love this song. And I just, I, I just fell in love with Katarina, I guess her name is. Yeah. Just a beautiful human and being and... So that's the go A, right? Go A, yeah, or go A. So some of the 2020 bands didn't come back for 2021, right? The, the country's just found a new, right. a new yeah. artist. Uh, Ukraine sent uh, go A the next year with an awesome song called Shum, which Shum. Um, mm-hmm. strangely didn't pick up steam until the last minute. People were like, what is this uh, folk electro what? And then it just, mm-hmm. I think there's something in her performance. There's something about it. It's, it's amazing. It's um, for what it is, you do want to listen to it year on year. Like this is a song that I will listen to five years yeah. from now. Both of these songs actually. Yeah, yeah. Is that the song that mixes German and Russian? And, and, I don't, uh, I don't know. Uh, if Shum, no, I think Shum is only in Ukrainian. Um, Shum okay. is, she's got a big green Muppet fur okay. thing but okay. she is very yeah, yeah, yeah. I, remember. I remember I would I would call her um you know female macho which is facho for me she's very facho mm-hmm. she's like all about it mm-hmm. um Ukraine is the only country outside of the big five to have qualified for the final of every contest they have competed in and has been placed outside the top 10 only six times Solovey translates to uh nightingale nightingale yeah um, uh, it's this bird. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I mean, there's another symbolism. Of yeah. It's like a lot, a lot. Yeah, a lot of symbolism. Yeah, 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 yeah. This song would have been the first song sung entirely in Ukrainian to represent the country at Eurovision. I'm betting Shum was entirely in Ukrainian, but I would have to double check. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next, we go to <laughs> Jamala, or you're calling her Yamala, which is probably even. I more... call it, I guess, Yamala, because yeah. it's like, you know, that's. Um... I think that's how we pronounce ye, you know, in Polish, and I guess in Ukraine, Yamala, because, you know, ja, it's, I don't know, I, I call her Yamala. So this is 2016, so it's going back in time, right? 2016. Yep. So this is, you know, just for me, it's a reminder that the war didn't start, you know, a year and a half ago, but it started much earlier. And you have this history and you have this song that takes you to another war, like it rewinds. It's like this rewinding. And the way she talks about it, it's a narrative, no? It's like she comes out and she says, the, the soldiers are coming to your house, right? So she puts you back into now. 
I mean, you listen to this song 2016, and I'm thinking now, you know, I'm thinking about all the stuff that's going on right now everywhere. But we also think about 1944, the history of the Tatars, and we think about all the other conflicts that unfortunately you suddenly have your home invaded. And, but what she does it beautifully, she's very precise in her language. And that's, you know, the whole thing is super simple. Yeah, there's not like a and lot of metaphor way, here. Know, it's not a lot of meta. Yeah. yeah. And which is uncommon in Eurovision. Directness. Yeah, which is uncommon in Eurovision because mm-hmm. I think the metaphor helps you get past the like political censors. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you, you need to be less explicit mm-hmm. about what you're saying to get to get into Eurovision to begin with. This mm-hmm. is a uh, brave mm-hmm. content. And then and, and her voice and the simplicity, I mean, the, like, the way the presentation is also like it's really scaled down. It's, it's not addressing, it's not trying to up anyone, you know, because all these things like the entry from Croatia, you know, like, this year or all these things that are just like, Ooh, you know, it's up, 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 up. What else can we do? What else can we bring? And sometimes it's just too much. And what she does is she's just like, it's almost like she has just left the house with nothing. And she's singing this song. And it's just, that's how I felt. And that's how I feel my friends felt when they had to leave their homes. You know, this Sunday, I have another Ukrainian coming over to stay overnight because she's traveling and she needs a place to stay. This is constant for people in Poland to be, you know, hearing the stories, individual stories of people that just left everything behind. And unfortunately, when you live in New York, all this gets, you know, trumped out. You know, it's just like every... You know, the the real life gets somehow hijacked. You know, our lives are being hijacked and we're listening to, you know, there's the Giuliani on the screen again. I just want to scream. And, you know, there's like all this. So in America, the war and the experience of it, it was just suddenly overloaded with all the stuff that was happening in America, you know, the other war, you know, the George Floyd, all this stuff that was going on is just like a, a different. Yeah, I mean, Europeans also have um, a cultural experience within their memory of most people, you know, your grandparents or your, you know, like m- most Europeans have. I mean, I Britain has been um, very solidly behind uh, Ukraine. And I think, um, you know, living around London during the invasion. I mean, people, lots of people remember the Blitz culturally. They just do. I don't know, like that's, that's it. Uh, I don't know that, you know, America, everything does feel more distant when you're in America and because it's America and it's a country of extremes. I mean, the biggest thing about America for me, from the perspective of the 34 years living there, feeling like an American, feeling, um, let's say, feeling like a New Yorker. I still feel I'm a New Yorker. I'm a New Yorker in Warsaw. And then when I'm, I'm a Polish artist and when I'm in New York, you know, it's like those identities keeps changing depending where I am, how I need to open my mouth. But the biggest issue with America for me is the America's denial. Yeah. And it's the denial of everything, like of their own identity, you know, because most of the people have in their blood leaving something behind, you know, leaving something. And it's something that's like, oh, we know we're here. How long have you been here? You know, it's just a question of how long have you been here and what kind of privileges have brought you there or what kind of fear has brought you there? And 
Yeah, I know. So, I know some people would call that magical. I know some journalists who call that magical thinking, like American American <laughs> magical thinking. Like um, a version, yeah. right? 1944 won the 2016 Eurovision Song Contest, receiving a grand total of 534 points, officially surpassing the previous record set by Alexander Ryback with his song Fairy Tale in 2009, which won with 387 <laughs> points. The national juries voted Sound of Silence by Australia first with 320 points, and the televote voted You Are the Only One by Russia first with 361 points. Um, I will, parentheses, before we get to the next and final gem, absolute gem of, a, of an entry, I fell down a massive research rabbit hole last night, with, with, which just did not end. It just kept going and going. Russia and Ukraine in Eurovision Wikipedia page has alone, alone, has 73 paragraphs and 160 citations. I will not bore Elka with that now, but I'll definitely give listeners as I close out a, uh, like just a tiny Cliff's Notes version of what it is, but it's pretty epic. Um, but I'll go through how many times the country have, have the countries have given each other 12 points in what years, et cetera, et cetera, all the politics, who went to uh, Crimea, who didn't, who got disqualified. It's all here. Uh, however, for the moment, we have the final entry. We don't want to put in Eurovision Song Contest 2009. This was never aired. So, right, so... Um, Solove never aired. We've been talking about a lot of art. I don't know. Are these Euro are these part of Eurovision if they never officially participated? I say yes. They live in the ephemeral world. I say yes. <laughs> <laughs> with me, with me, we can say yes. Excellent. I mean, it is because you Google it and you Google it and it's there. And if it's there, we can talk about it. The same way, like SAI, if I don't own it, but somebody sneaked in and sent me some pictures of something that they noticed, it enters my database. And then we start to dig. And that's somehow I learned. It's like, because I believe that when I have some information about something that's fantastic, when I start to think about it, there is a saying in Polish, when you hit the table, the scissors will make a sound. Uh, and I would, you know, it's like you hit the table, you do something, something out there is gonna, you know, click in and this piece is going to speak out in one way or another through some kind of situation. So I, uh, I believe in following the leads of things that interest you, even if they're not completely, you know, lined up with all the parameters of entry. I mean, in this particular case, no. No, I wish this song had, uh, had, had competed. I'm desperately sad. I did not know of its existence. I thought I'd heard a lot about Ukraine and Russia. I was like, okay, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do Yamala. We're gonna do some, maybe Stefania, maybe some Solove, maybe some Goa. No, here we are. Uh, we don't wanna put in. Uh, Eurovision Song Contest in 2009, Georgia wanted to submit this to go to Eurovision Russia in Moscow. Uh, how would you describe this song? I mean, what I love about it, that it's disco and it's like this 80s vibe, <laughs> you know, it's like this 80s vibe, kind of glitter, just, you know, this outfits that the band, I think the guy who wrote the lyrics, Stefan, right? It's Stefan and then uh, 3G. So it's this group of people, the kind of like, you know, disco ball, disco, you know, it's clothes, the colorful clothes, and it's sort of light. And it's, it's just like, you know, disco beat 
thing that's almost negligent and then you start to listen to what they're singing about and you kind of and they're never really letting in to political agenda at all it's all kind of about lightness and disco and then you have a title we don't want to put in right and then you say put in and you put in, you put it together and you just realize what's happening in georgia this is 2009 you know the invasion of georgia 2008 this is like fresh politics and it's you know at that time it's very strange that now we can have all this cro you know it's croatia you have such explicit things about that are political but at that time they wouldn't let this sort of gentle, suggestive, poetic disco number go on. It's a gentle, <laughs> suggestive disco number. <laughs> Only in Eurovision could you get that kind of a, uh, right, like a political, gentle, suggestive disco number. Oh, God bless Eurovision. I mean, I just love the, also because I totally love disco and I totally love um, the joy of community in disco. And basically for the last few years, I was interrupted by Corona, but uh, I continued to go to disco clubs and dance because that's the one way that you could be in a safe space with people that you don't know. And I would go to particular parties that are very respectful uh, of people's, you know, they're usually private parties or parties that, that are kind of setting the rules of behavior on a dance floor. But it is this place where you can really joyfully be with other people. And when I saw this entry and I thought, this is fun. It's like doing, what was this gymnastics that they doing? Oh yeah, it definitely looked like some jazzercise, some 1980s, like jazzercise, like jazzercise or, Jane Fonda. Thing, you know, have, like, yeah, 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 the Jane Fonda, all that stuff. So you have this kind of sporty disco, kind of glam, but also ridiculous, you know, the hair and I think this mustache. I mean, it's kind of fun and light and weird. And then you have this blunt, blunt uh, you know, poem in the title, we don't want to put in. It's been a while. Like, I think, you know, my husband, who's British, was like, that doesn't even make sense in English. And I'm like, Andy, people don't write English for us at Eurovision. A lot of things don't make sense in English. I'm, I'm still... <laughs> I'm still willing to, mm -hmm. to I, I think if I'd said this was an accident, oh, look at this completely accidental thing. I think this song should have eked through. So what what we know was that the actually broadcasting union, European Broadcasting Union banned this song, right? Is that yeah, they, they, there's okay. like an original, no, this reminded me a lot okay. of uh, Salvage Art actually, because there's a, you know, these mm -hmm. songs go through an official, there's like, was an inquest, an official thing. And it did not mm -hmm. pass um, the the politics the politics hurdle. You know, it was it was yeah. deemed too yeah. political yeah. officially yeah. on paper by a bureaucrat by a yeah. Eurovision bureaucrat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I normally yeah. don't have to explain what these. Um, entries look like because you know we all remember Yamala for sure um this however mm -hmm. my notes are uh true disco boogie song reminds me of boogie fever this song reminds me a lot of yeah. boogie fever yeah okay. uh closest Eurovision cousin might be Gustav who people will remember from last year uh, all the Eurovision mm -hmm. elements, hot pants, metallic textiles, amazing hair, choreography, a bubble machine and then there's just like some alarming elements. There's um, like a finger shooting and head falling, like, and a really, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it's it's mm -hmm. not Charlie's Angels. It looks like it's gonna start out mm -hmm. as Charlie's Angels and then it gets grotesque. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a mm -hmm. body falling, mm -hmm. slumping gesture. Mm -hmm. There's a shh gesture. Mm -hmm. 
this gets real subversive real quick. And then there's, yeah, then there's a guy that looks like Gene Siskel, American uh, film critic Gene Siskel, <laughs> or Groucho Marx, if you don't know who Gene Siskel I is. Groucho Marx for me, <laughs> okay. or Al Yankovic doing Groucho Marx or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but there's also, what's amazing is about, you know, they hint, there's all these hints, no? But it's about this vocabulary, you know, it's killing our groove, right? It's like, it's killing, it's like, you are all this nonsense, it's stopping our joy. It's like wanting this, it's like a call for, uh, we want life and playfulness. We want to live and love and have, it's kind of aesthetics of this kind of disco f futurism also, no? Of like the imagination of a life of peace. And, and happiness, like a lot of joy in disco. Yeah. And your thing is cut, cutting out, you know, is, is, is killing our groove or this freaking us out. Or uh, I'm trying, uh, it's kill, yeah, it's killing the groove, yeah? Let me focus on good stuff, some good stuff, just good stuff, right? And then say, no worries, don't worry. It's there's this kind of vocabulary of like, let's let's do it, let's do nah, it. Nah. This is whole, you know, groove. This is all kind of beautiful time that we only associate with peace, you know, the 60s. We associate with the ambition for, for I mean, forget about the Vietnam War. Yeah, I was going to say I'm American, so this is not like, yeah, like, no, I mean, yeah. No, but the hope, right? Yeah, the power, yeah, power, I get you know, what you mean. Yeah, of, like, yeah, yeah. The vocabulary of the disco uses that vocabulary. Also, subversive American disco, though, like um, "I Will Survive" oh. or "Raining Men" or something like this. This is Absolutely. the because it's so silly, you don't take it seriously. Absolutely. But if you think exactly. about it, it's exactly, yeah. exactly. And all the love songs on Nina Simone and all these things that are, you know, Nina Simone is like. If, if I don't know if you watch her documentary, like at some point she's like, if somebody gave me a gun. I want the gun, you know, she, she would rather go to war at this point because this is just becoming so crazy. So yeah, it's, it's a beautiful entry. And then I watched it, you know, my whole world kind of coalesced because it brings Europe and America together in some weird way for me. And it also brings all the wars together in opposition to what we want, you know, there's, and I, I was writing a poem and somehow in a poem I said to myself, like, I'm, all my poetry is in Polish, so it's not going to be so quickly translated. Right now I'm in the level of transcribing them all. But it talks about, like, I want, I want the, you know, I want the war. Because I used to have, on my Instagram, I used to have pacifist in my title. Because mm. I thought there was always not enough anti-war movement. But once I started to listen to my Ukrainian friends... I took it out just because they said we can't listen about this pacifist ideas of the Western countries where our basically our lifehood is completely destroyed in a, such a brutal way that you can't even conceive of. So I stopped being a pacifist and I was thinking in this poem I was writing about that I want them to win but I don't know how to win and with what, because like flowers going into the uh, rifles yeah. didn't work. Crocheting the whole tanks, which was the whole thing that was done, you know, through the art world at some time is a kind of, you know, women's way of responding to the violence didn't work. Like what the hell can work? You know, how can we, you know, do this? It's really crazy. And I was just walking the other day. There is a little memorial here near for the ghetto uprising that was <clears throat> uh, an installation of flowers and kind of little stories. 
And people um, that were in the leadership of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, the Jews that were regretting that they have put so much energy into culture and education, they say, we should have trained our people to carry guns. And when I read that, you know, I got chills from my friend. And I think that's a person who has seen so much, you know, evil, that you, that you realize that the books and all the things that the hope, the idealism, in the face of brutality doesn't stand. And that's the tragedy of, of where we are right now. You know, it's like, can we actually fix all these issues? Can we take care of all the refugees fleeing Africa, the worlds that we destroyed, you know, extracted, you know, all this stuff, like, can it actually be fixed? Sometimes I feel it really can't. There is no solution. And the only thing would be like, everybody just fucking shuts up and stops and starts to walk to get their stuff and you know but this is never going to happen because the reason also why we left america is when we had a shutdown for covid in new york city new york city was severely i mean we were just closed in our homes made believe that you cannot even be on the same street with another stranger so we would cross the street washing the you know washing everything from the you know the handle of your door i mean it was really crazy and I thought, oh my God, the culture is going to end. That's why we updated SAI website, you know, that the COVID and the war are going to create this space of revival. And that we're going to, you know, the Martin Luther King, the March of the Poor, that this is going to create a new situation, consciousness, because it's about people relating to another and the fear of touching somebody's hand that you have to work with, like just the basic daily things in America. It felt like, oh my God, and it affects the rich, the poor, you know, the Cuomo's brother. I mean, this whole ridiculous <laughs> Cuomo situation. And it's, and then I thought, you know what? COVID is gonna kill a lot of people, but it's gonna transform us. I really had this still this stupid idea that it's gonna, and when I realized that it just got worse. Right now, my choice to be a poet is like really scaling down. I have two tables and I, so my apartment is really small. That's where I grew up. The small apartment is now the place I live. I have a bed. My, I have a husband who lives in Vienna and we kind of, you know, we're married. We, we, we had his brother kind of proclaim us a couple <laughs> some time ago, so it's not official, but we live, you know, we lived in multiple continents. Now we live in these cities, you know, it's, we see each other as much as we can. We respect each other's space. He's also an artist. I mean, he, I'm not no longer an artist. Anyway, but the bigger room in my apartment now has two tables where I can write and I can leave things and, I, and it's a luxury. And it's, I'm in heaven. I've built for myself an oasis in which I can work modestly and focus on what I want to focus. And it's a luxury, I know. It's probably what I'm doing in my simple way is a huge luxury that a person, you know, with a lot of income in New York City would not be able to afford is the time, the time. I have time. I'm sure you've read Virginia Woolf. You must have um, a room of sure, one's sure, own, sure. a room of one's yeah. own, this idea that you, all you need is, is basically yeah. what you're describing. Yeah. All right. I'm going to read what happened to Georgia's entry, and then I'm going to ask you for any plugs that you have, anything, any links you'd like to give us, any plugs. So prepare yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and read about Georgia. Uh, Georgia mm -hmm. originally planned to participate in the Eurovision Song Contest in 2009, 
The song was performed by the group Stéphane or Stéphanie and 3G. Uh, the Georgian broadcaster GPB, so that's Georgian Public Broadcaster, held a national final in order to select the Georgian entry uh, for the contest in Moscow, Russia. So Georgian viewers will have picked this song to go to Moscow. Yeah, it wasn't an internal selection. Uh, yeah, a whole load of Georgians said, yep, let's send this. Uh, GPB announced its withdrawal uh, from the contest after We Don't Want to Put In was rejected by the EBU for perceived political references to a certain Russian prime minister. Oh, heck, Vladimir Putin. Despite initially announcing on 28 August 2008 that the country would not participate in 2009 to protest the host country Russia's foreign policies caused by the 2008 South Ossetia War, also known as the Russo-Georgian War, the broadcaster ultimately confirmed their intentions. So uh, they didn't. Georgia didn't want to send anyone uh, because of the war, uh, and then they decided to send this. The Georgian people approved it, and then EBU rejected it, and then they didn't send anything. So well done, Georgia. And I think they, if I remember correctly from my notes, they were also offered the option to change the lyrics, but that also did not happen. Wow. <laughs> so no, they just said we'll leave it as it is. Thank you very much. They should just have changed the beat, no? Like they have a rhythm, rhythm, to read it differently. That's it. That's it. So, <clears throat> so thank you for being on. This has been super fascinating. Thanks so much, Bradley, for reaching out. Okay, so I do operate on Instagram. Uh, my uh, kind of creative, uh, personal handle is Elka Krajewska, My name studio. It's a private account, but people, when they're legitimate, I always let people in. I just don't want spam. And the other one is no longer art, which is for Salvage Art Institute, which I do post things for myself, but also Matthew, who took over, who was a young kid who worked on this material since 2010. He's kind of taking the uh, SAI to, into what he calls beyond storage program. And he's going to develop his own way of dealing with what he understands the inventory to be, which is based on the discussions that we had along for a while during COVID. Uh, we had online Zoom discussions and we kind of thought about SAI inventory as a compost. It's something that has to sit there for a while and things are going to come out on their own, you know, in a kind of way that we cannot predict. So he's at the helm of no longer art. I'm associated with a gallery, Local 30 in Warsaw, which have an amazing program of feminist seminars that are very often in English as well. So they're available to other people in the audience, but usually women from Eastern Europe connect and talk, present issues, and it's usually a theme. There are two or three uh, seminars a year, and they're very, very prepared. I took part in one of them as a presenter, and then I'm, as much as I can, participate in the ones that are there. And, uh, oh, and the chapter, because I also wrote a book of salvage art, on salvage art, which is called No Longer Art in a Coma. Yes. Unfortunately, we, could, we couldn't find a publisher. So, but as things at SAI happen naturally, this chapter started to be published independently. So Rubin Museum, if you go into their website, has published one of the chapters on their website, the Rubin Museum of Tibetan Art. They published one chapter of our book this spring. Uh, I just received a week ago um, a publication from MIT and Whitechapel Gallery uh, in London, 
which publishes the documents of contemporary art, which is a series, and this time it's on speculation. So one chapter of the next chapter of my book is published in that book, which is kind of amazing to read it. The third chapter is uh, something that I'm translating now from English into Polish, and I want to uh, publish it uh, bilingually, is the Eileen Miles poem on one of the pieces, um, you know, the SAI uh, number nine that I spoke to you about, which I will reveal is a Cindy Sherman photograph, damaged photograph. It's a beautiful poem. It's hardcore. And I'm done with the first draft of translation. I'm meeting the publisher called Girls to the Front. It's a queer publishing venue in Warsaw, and they're fantastic, so check them out. And I think I'll stop right here. Do you have any physical spaces? Because, you know, of course, everyone will be Europe. You, you know, generally, we've got a lot of people in Europe. You know, the physical spaces are during the exhibition. So, you know, the exhibition that was uh, in the fall, uh, the website of Local 30 has an archive of the work. And they actually have a, on the website, they have a movie that I made about my mom because the exhibition I had with them last year was very kind of centered or say, saying goodbye to my mother, who was also an artist. So it's like both of our works connecting and the, there's a link to a Vimeo movie there. Sorry, what kind and, of artist um, was she? All her life, she was a technician that was working between a, a costume designer and the, and the seamstress. She was the person who would make the forms and cut, you know, cut the forms and would figure out, I have kids in the neighborhood here, um, uh, she would figure out technically how to make the costume work. So they are usually historical film and theater costumes. So her, work, her hands were working all those 40 something years. And then <clears throat> uh, 17 years ago, uh, she began making art. Basically after visiting New York and being in the gallery and standing there and saying, you know what, I should be doing something. And I said, what do you want to do? And that's it started. And I was chaperoning her through that whole art world. I organized exhibitions for her. So that's also available through through the links. And people can also reach to me through Instagram and I can, you know, think of other ways to, uh, oh, there are my, some of my films are at the archive, which is called Filmoteca of MSN, MSN which is a contemporary museum here in Warsaw, a Museum of Contemporary Art. And their film section actually has the documentary from my IMAX production. It has some samples of my animations. It has some other video work that I'm there. So that's available through the archive. But right now, at the moment, on Tuesday, I um, have a performance with my husband at the Secession in Vienna. Okay. And then we're going to a summer school in Rome. We're um, part of this summer school that's focused on activism and what art can do in the, you know, in the refugee crisis. And we're going to be there uh, that's starting uh, September 3rd until the 9th, which is sponsored by the Swiss Institute of Art. So we're going to work with the local artists and activists in Rome for a week. OK, of course, Rome is my listeners will know my favorite city because I lived there for 12 years. Uh, and when you were saying revival, of course, that means to live again, revivere. So um, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm going to. Yeah. That's what I'm going to take away from our uh, from our talk, like the idea of rebirth and, oh. re and creation, and yeah. Always, always, always. I mean, that's that's the magic of life in a way that there's always an, another day, and that even when people die, there's somebody who carries on the banner. So. Hopefully, you know, it's just a shame that war, um, you know, here being, if you have 30 more seconds, I'm also close to the 
uh, work that's done by Lithuanian anthropologist Maria Gimbutas, who died, I think, in the early 2200s. And she was doing a lot of research on what she called Old Europe. That was kind of um, mostly on uh, Crete and the culture that was totally matriarchal before the Greek and Roman invasions started. So before the kind of war culture began. Yeah, sure. So it's she roots uh, Europe into this kind of uh, female energy that's not only about women, it's also about men, but dealing with not ballistic and war culture, but with work or workshop, working together, you know, respecting your period, all these kinds of things. <laughs> So uh, she was phenomenal and it's amazing to be here and kind of see that this this research is being picked up by very young artists and scholars and it's kind of wonderful to feel that we have roots uh, beyond the goddamn bellum. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Don't get me started on the bellum. Thank you very, very much, Elka. Thank you for your time. Wonderful meeting you. Shoutouts and plugs from me. Congratulations to friend of the show, Angelina Olashuk, who participated in the Dance World Cup in Braga in the end of June and came in eighth in her event. She then competed in the Global Dance Open and placed fourth. Last episode, I may have forgotten to mention the Twitter handle Eurovision Wardrobe, where you post a picture of a Eurovision look you love and they find where you can buy it. Check them out. The show notes are extra special this week. There are links related to the discussion I've just had with Elka, including her Glitter and Gunpowder speech, a fan-created list of all songs that have participated in Eurovision that are anti-Russia, a year-by-year summary breakdown of the Russia-Ukraine relations in the Eurovision Song Contest from 2007 to present, and a remembrance of the San Remo and Eurovision powerhouse that was Totocotuño. Last but not least, this is the one-year anniversary of the podcast. Much love to my editor, Max Prosha. He edits the podcast every month from Kiev, and you can find his details in the show notes too if you have a project, video or audio, that needs editing. A big thank you to you too for having listened and joined me on this journey. Feel free to tell a friend about the pod, and it helps if you give a star rating on your podcast app of choice. It moves us up the charts. That's it for Eurovision Song Context for the moment. We release an episode on the 12th of every month, The Doozith. You can find us on the podcast app of your choice. You can find show notes in the description of this episode and on our website at eurovisionsongcontext.fireside.fm. I'm also on Twitter at ESC Context if you want to say hi. Our music is Buckeye Bonsai by Vans in Japan. <laughs> <laughs>